Welcome everyone, this is Chris Sarda, at Cast and Comics on Instagram and Twitter. This is episode two of the Ten of Swords podcast, something uh, I want to be able to do, stick to, uh, talk about, and uh, with a definite end. So uh, this is a podcast covering the giant X-Men series that has uh, just started this Wednesday and depending how you look at it, started the week before, uh, called Ten of Swords, that is being, uh, being driven by, uh, by Apocalypse, so it's a, a, a very Apocalypse-forward story, but it is spanning the entire, uh, X-Men line. We've already had, uh, important introduction, uh, issues that came, uh, that were, uh, X, uh, Excalibur number 12 and X-Men number 12. I did talk about those and the free comic day book in a, in the very first episode of the Ten of Swords podcast. And now today in front of me, I have the, the, the technical beginning of the story arc, Ten of Swords creation says part one of 22. And that is what we're going to talk about it is the only X book that came out. Um, unless you consider Juggernaut an X book, so that is, uh, but it has nothing to do with Ten of Swords, and that's hard to say uh, whether that one is or not. It is Juggernaut is was on the back uh, on the reading list that happened in uh, X Men and and Excalibur, but it's it's not in this Ten of Swords one. So we're gonna talk uh, we're gonna talk in in a couple different contexts here. So I'll just give the uh, introduction. I wanna. I want to talk about the creators and um, some real just overview of it before we get into any kind of plot or anything like that. Uh, uh, also in this podcast, I want to talk about specifically Apocalypse's relationship to certain people in this book, uh, his interactions and and some of that history. Um, and uh, I, we're focused on the interactions here. I don't want to get too deep. I started getting into a rabbit hole of history. It could be its own podcasts, what these characters, where have they been and, and, and what's happened to them and why they're there. But uh, I do want to focus on apocalypse interactions with certain people. Uh, and then I want to I want to talk about tarot cards. So that's something I didn't know about because like probably many of you, I thought it was uh, really silly. But uh, the section in the free comic book day and I may go in and uh, compare the free comic book day to what's in in here to make sure there's nothing different. But the the section that was in free comic book day is in this book, so it is uh, Saturnine, which I will now pronounce correctly. Uh, it it is her reading the tarot cards, and there's a a whole thing, you know, these there's a whole tarot thing going on here, a whole theme of of divination and magic and whatnot. So this is sort of where this is not sort of, but this is where this is where magic is starting to overlap with the the things that are happening in Krakoa. We've seen that in the Excalibur in the Excalibur book, if you were reading it, uh, and uh, Apocalypse is always doing that in the back, becoming this sorcerer. So we'll talk about uh, tarot cards, and it's going to be a real simple talk. And I'm going to compare essentially what I read in Wikipedia for each of these tarot cards to what is uh, written here by Jonathan Hickman and Teeny Howard. So uh, let's start out with the creators. Let's start out with the, the large overview, the top-down, what's-going-on-here overview. 
This is written, so Jonathan Howard Antini, or Hickman Antini Howard have writing credits on this. Uh, I'm not real sure how that came about. It seemed like this was something that at least the skeleton was planned before Jonathan Hickman, or you know, during Hawks Pox or whatever, there was already, um, like the Summoner was shown there, and a couple other real light things. But Teeny Howard's writing of Excalibur, sort of put her right in the mix, which is interesting because a lot of people were dropping or not reading Excalibur. Uh, it was definitely not one of them that was uh, at the forefront or considered extremely important. Uh, artist is Pepe Larraz. Uh He's getting a lot of credit here. Uh, I will say that I think we have, I think uh, uh, Marte Garcia, the color artist, should get even more. Because there are moments in this book that are just absolutely beautiful. I think a lot of that are the colors. It's just, it's really just colored perfectly. Just a real bold, has a real, a more uh, dark than, than brighter vibe, but not dark like sometimes you see where it's digitally darkened. It, it just has a real bold uh, red sky and... And not the four color superhero uh, ideas that we've seen. So, uh, and and a lot of Pebble Arise's art has been colored this way. I'm not sure it's been Marte Garcia every time, but I I think it's the colors that really grab me here. Uh, and uh, and it really worked. And I'm not sure if this is done on purpose, but it really worked the contrast of of each of the characters that happened to be in it or in the panels. So I thought that was beautiful. And Pebble Arise does a great job, um, especially with Apocalypse, as I've mentioned before. Uh, a picture of Krakoa's face is beautiful here too, but there are times where, uh, and this may be a speed thing, I'm not sure, but there are times where I've not, I thought that, okay, there's the lack of detail actually a little bit bothered me. There's a, there's a vote. So after some great nine panel work of the council talking, there's a vote and you can't, you can barely see who's raising their hands in a lot of cases. And and, uh, and it's, you know, pictures of the council, I think could be a little bit cooler, but then on the same page, I mean, you got Krakoa in here, uh, the close-ups of the characters look, always look beautiful and Apocalypse looks great. So, um, so that's what stands out the most to me is when you flip through the book and it looks a lot like X-Men 12, but it, it's just, it's just a beautiful book. I mean, you hardly know what's going on. Let's be honest. I'll be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh it's it's so uh dense that uh that for a lot of the book you're just sort of waiting to see what kind of crazy stuff uh Hickman's going to say or do and it's not crazy like surprising it's just like deep like he's just created this large world and has a real focus on it you know another section of this podcast will be uh really talking about the uh the white pages here. So, and then last but not least, definitely not least, this is uh, one of the most important people aside from Hickman, to be honest, is Tom Moeller has done the design. Now the design looks a lot, a lot like what we were already used to seeing with the exception being uh, that there's a little bit more blue on, on the cover page that tells you the chapter or what you're actually reading. Um, and there is, I think another important piece to this 
is there is no Krakoan in here. All I see, I own. This opens with all I see, I own. I am unsatisfied with the state of things. Saturnine said that. And then there's something about uh, a Drador Falls, which we'll talk about. But yeah, I just realized this as I'm flipping through now. Oh, there's a little bit. There's Krakoan on the back, on the back page. And it says next. I'll, I'll make sure to read that. So this was X-Men creation. So let's get into it. And I think um, I don't have to like flip through and go plot by plot. I think a lot of the the plot will come out. And this way I don't have to do it chronologically and page-wise, which I, I get annoyed by. Uh, a lot of the plot will come out as I talk about first the uh, the characters in relation to Apocalypse. And then... Uh, and then sort of explain and talk about what each character is doing in the book. And you're going to get, and we'll get a ton of, uh, we'll get a ton of plot and a ton of things to talk about, uh, doing it that way. Um, but let's start with tarot cards. So I, I don't, I don't give the whole tarot thing much credence. I'm not, uh, I'm not, a into divination and all of that stuff. So maybe you are, but because I don't give it much credence, I just wanted to get a little background on what's happening and see if I can connect anything with plot. And so when I compare what is said in the books, the book by Teeny Howard and, and, and Jonathan Hickman, uh, I am comparing it to stuff I read about tar- tarot cards on Wikipedia. So you're going to, you're going to have, everyone's going to have to live with that. Uh, I just wanted to, to get a little background on what the cards meant and uh, and then contrast that with with what we read in uh, X in Ten of Swords creation. I think uh, I, well, and also it turns out from reading Wikipedia, it turns out I grew up with tarot cards. My family is Italian by way of Argentina, and we had these cards all around. And I I guess I never put together that they were tarot cards. Um, because my grandfather played games with them, and then on I- Wikipedia, you could you read right away that hey, it's English-speaking countries where the games aren't very popular or very known. And when we think of tarot cards, we think of divination and evil stuff. But in most of the rest of Europe, it, they play games with them. It's like a Trump game, uh, a Trump card game. So, so now when I read that, I was like, oh, these a lot of these cards were were all over the place, and some of them were weird. I remember, so I don't know how, I don't know the deck that I that we had, whether it was Spaniard, whether it was Italian, or whatnot. I do remember there being like clubs, but like an actual club on the card, not a club like we're used to on like a poker deck, uh, like a, a club, like a caveman club. So, but that's a very vague memory uh, from when I was a kid, and uh, we I didn't play very much with them when we played cards with my grandfather, or whatever we played with regular cards, but they did have those those uh, other cards. So, uh let's uh let's begin and some of these we've talked we we talked about very lightly uh in the last episode for the new comic book day, but I, I do want to go a little bit more. So, she pulls a judgment card. On the judgment card is and of course there's going to be spoilers in when we talk about this book. So, just uh know that. On the judgment card there's a picture of Apocalypse and his grandson uh, the summoner. So later on, we do find out. We find out that the the summoner betrays them. It wasn't a big reveal, 
it was a big enough reveal, but it, they weren't trying to make it like it was something huge. The Summoner has been a somewhat underdeveloped character, which is fine. That's not a negative, but he appeared in Hawkspox, and we got we've got little. We got little pictures of him in early X-Men books and then when he told the, the story in the last X-Men book. So he is revealed to be a a uh, against Apocalypse, even stabs him. And uh, before that we find that out, before that happens in the story, the card says, uh, or Saturnine says, the death of death and, uh, and the new way forward. Uh, the witch breed bring back their own dead now. So I, I think they're probably talking about X-Men. Uh, have they considered what else from the past awakens the earth? What rises to face those who call themselves immortal? So uh, there's uh, there's going to be some discovery, some questions, some talk about the uh, Krakoan resurrection that we see. And then they they go to tear it. So Terret has a white page. Terret is a character that was in the Hellions. I don't know very much about her. But they go to her. She's been mostly a villain, as far as I know. And uh, and she's going to explain these cards. She's not drawn here at all. She just has a white page. And and it, it just makes it look like she said this stuff. Um, she does close with whoever's reading. Whoever this is... Whomever this reading is meant for, I hope it reaches them. Things been, uh, seem very serious. So also, when you flip these cards, they're being read for someone. And I don't know what Saturnine, who she's reading them for. If it's for all of the multiverse and the realities or whatnot. Uh, I don't know. I'm just going to strap in for the ride on that one. And, uh, and, and figure it out as we go. But what I do want to do is keep an eye on these. Uh, on what Tarot has said about these cards. And then what is said in the, uh, in the beautiful drawings. As Saturnine is flipping them over. So then Tarot on the white page says, It is not a judgment in the way we think of it, uh, but in the way the priests taught it in my youth. Final judgment and rebirth of all in heaven. It typically means spiritual growth. But I think it's funny. Rebirth is surely a gift of Krakoa, yes? Uh, and Tarot's French, so I'm not going to do a French accent, but that's where the comma yes goes there. Oui, oui? Um, I guess I just did one. So, this card may have been revealed in the plot already, because there is, there is, I guess there's no spiritual growth yet, but maybe, maybe that's what we're going to get from Apocalypse. I, I, I've said over and over again, I think this is a way to take Apocalypse off, uh, off the table. Um, and we'll see what goes on in the book, because it will be strange to have him redeemed, uh, because... Let's say he saves everyone. He he closes this door again. That's what we've sort of put together between this issue and and the next that Apocalypse uh, sacrificed his family essentially on this side of the on the war side and and cut off the door and then was on the Krakoa Earth side. So it'll be strange to have him redeemed. Like if okay, he saves. Let's say he saves all the realities and cuts off whatever ends up happening. Right? He he makes some kind of sacrifice. I mean, Apocalypse has a, a long history of of genocide and whatnot. It's one thing it's one thing to put him on the council and he's a mutant, uh, and 
it's another thing to, to redeem him, or maybe you've, you've softened us up because we, we've accepted that he's on the council and he's been uh, pretty big into genocide in his history and, and uh, killing everybody. So it, it was always a little bit weird, like what's Apocalypse doing or what are they doing with him? But it, it turns out that, okay, Professor X and Magneto suddenly trust him or, or maybe not trust him, but we're allowed him on the council, right? So now, now we're getting real deep into the magic side and to the multi-universe side and, and to more of Apocalypse's history, which, which Apocalypse is such a great character. You could just follow his story. I mean, if, if it, it's one of those things, it's almost like Daniel Cormier. If these other guys didn't exist, you know, Daniel Cormier went deep in two divisions. Uh, Daniel Cormier would definitely be the greatest fighter ever. And right now there's a question or the greatest heavyweight, light heavyweight ever. There's a question. And the only reason Apocalypse is not the greatest is because Magneto's there. Magneto is the best X-Men character. But um, anyway, let's read what uh, what Wiki says about the Judgment card. So uh, what we get, card meanings, Judgment, Rebirth, Inner Calling, Absolution, Karma, uh, Causality, and Second Chance. So I think from what I just said about redeeming Apocalypse... Or taking Apocalypse off the off the board, uh, a rebirth, a judgment. I think the second chance uh, is interesting. Uh, it sort of meets sort of meets that idea. If he becomes, uh, if they try to redeem him in this book, and they may not. He may just sacrifice, but it, it may be for Apocalypse reasons. And something we'll get more into is it, when we talk about uh, the relationship between Apocalypse and other people in here are the, the at least two mentions so far about how Apocalypse does what he wants and other people sac- get sacrificed for it. So let's move on to the Four of Wands. Uh, in, in the artwork, the Four of Wands are uh, Apocalypse's children that we find out uh, later in this book, or maybe we found out in X-Men 12. And they all, I'm not going to name them here, I can't remember their names, but there is uh, definitely an Anubis, and there's a very uh, a very strong Egyptian feel. Which fits, because uh, Apocalypse Origins in Egypt. A family that has been fighting for eons has one final confrontation before... Uh, before they rest over the ashes of the defeated. So this is their final fight. They are... They look like they're going to be the battle. Yeah, they look like they're just going to fight. There doesn't look like there's going to be a ton of of character development within these characters, although there should be. And they they got they have a four horsemen feel to them, that's for sure. They crave the last battle and the spoils of victory. They have built a hard home, and one must dwell within. So that's what Saturnine pulls, and what she says, or at least what the uh, and that's the four of wands. And at least what the narrative says around it. I assume it's Saturnine talking there. Uh, and then the Mutant Tarrant says of the Four of Wands, this is a good card, yes. It can mean you have finished something or you are returning to something. Uh, Dun Pat. Uh, four can be a good number for this sort of thing. Four walls make a house, no? Uh, the Zorn brothers would consider four quite an auspicious uh quite an inauspicious number so it varies the zorn i didn't look up the zorn brothers i can't even remember what they are so as far as the four of wands goes 
Uh, key meanings there are our celebration and happiness, completion, harmony, new beginnings, pleasure. So that is weird because these are very much the antagonists. They are Apocalypse's children. They are part of the group that I wouldn't say betrays them. They see Apocalypse as the betrayer. But certainly when Apocalypse walks up to them later in the in the issue, uh, there's some stabbing going on uh, by one of them. Uh, and and the summoner gets involved in that. And so the the contrast here is that you have these antagonists, or at least they look like antagonists from the point of view of this book, but the key meanings of the Four of Wands are celebration, happiness, completion, harmony, new beginnings, and pleasure. So we will we will keep close track of that one. I would I would be very pleased if the writing in this somehow switched to them becoming protagonists and, and Apocalypse returning to his his evil he never left his evil ways. This is why it's so hard, right? But I think that would be an interesting switch in the writing. But again, that doesn't matter. I am strapped in to see what uh, Howard and Hickman are doing here. Now, the hangman is probably what we're more used to as far as as reading X-Men. And it is, it is the characters that go into the, uh, into the gate, not initially. Banshee goes in initially. So this is the second group that goes in. We find out later that Summoner betrayed this group or betrayed the group before. But Summoner goes in with Havoc, Apocalypse, Beast, Richter, Rockslide, Archangel, Siren, and Polaris. So that's the Hanged Man. And this one feels... This one, like Judgment, feels like maybe we've we've gotten a little bit of a picture of it. Saturnine says, Here, no men hang, but something has been suspended indeed. Time, natural laws, and earthly attachments. They bring themselves here to the game at the gallows. What do they wager to lose? So that's a little bit of foreshadowing into what this book sort of leads into. Probably my one disappointment, and I hope that the focus of the 22 issues isn't the tournament that's happening. Uh, so you, you almost get another battle world situation. Hickman just got out of uh, secret, uh, new secret wars. You almost get this other... The end of this book had a battle world feel where the apocalypse children are going to fight characters that are in uh, characters that are fighting for Saturnine, but they are really just the mutants, right? So that's what I feel like we've ran into for Hangman. So maybe maybe we've gotten some uh, some background there. Terrett the mutant says, "Well, you know how he got that way. He's hanging himself because he's sacrificing himself. Sometimes this one means you have to uh, what is the phrase? Kill your sweethearts or something." These latter cards are less pleasant, it seems. By the way, Tarot is a precog. Isn't precog, isn't that illegal in uh, Krakoa? Isn't that why they don't resurrect destiny? And, uh, and, uh, uh, and that really makes Mystique mad. I almost called her Mystere, which is a Cirque du Soleil show here in town. And I got coffee on my copy of Ten of Swords here. God damn it. Anyway, I do have another one coming, so... That's the hanged man. And then what we get from uh, the omniscient Wikipedia for the hanged man is those meanings are... There's so much There's so much writing about the minor and arcana and the, uh, 
the tarot stuff's really weird. The Hanged Man. Wisdom, circumspection, or <laughs> circumspection, discernment, trials, sacrifice, intuition, divination, prophecy. If it's reversed, oh, I forgot that when they're reversed, that means something too. Which would have been cool if some of these um, tarot cards that they drew here were upside down. That would imply that it was reversed, right? Reversed is selfishness, the crowd, the body politique. So, not sure what to tell you about the hangman. Except that those are uh, the people that didn't take Apocalypse through the through the portal are staying there, and they look like they're going to fight. So that's Polaris, Havoc, at least Rockslide got cut in half, which was interesting. Now this one's this one's the most. Uh, I'm not, it's not interesting, but this is the one that I think is the is going to be the overlying theme. This next card, which is the Eight of Cups. And we have Genesis, and then some version of Genesis uh, that looks more evil, which may have been explained in uh, in X-Men 12, but it's hard to say. So, Eight of Cups. Someone's heart has been left empty. So, that's Apocalypse leaving, and leaving his wife Genesis there. She has been wanting for something more. Will she turn away? Will she be turned away? A woman like this keeps her cup close. And I think it was it was implied later that um, uh, well, it's not implied. It just said that one of the uh, one of the characters told Apocalypse that she's gone. She fell under the Twilight Blade, but it looks like she's going to be around. And Tarot the Mutant says of the Eight of Cups, a sad card in my deck. The cups are all overturned here on the picture. The person this is reading for. Uh, something is missing in their life. They must walk away, or perhaps they already have. This is a wound. So, uh, I mean, we may get a, a, an apocalypse, not love story, but a broken heart love story. Uh, an ap- apocalypse lifetime special. We may, or what's the Oprah channel? Oh, apocalypse. Yeah, I, I'm not going to go on with that, but you, it, it looks like that's what we're getting. She's a little bit. Uh, she's a woman scorned, perhaps, but uh, she also looks cool. I want to give a lot of credit to the uh, the design of her because the Eight of Cups card here sort of splits her in half, and she's got the sort of bluish apocalypse look to her, and the other side has like tentacles going around and stuff. So uh, that was very fun. And what is the what does the Eight of Cups tell us on Wikipedia? What is the Eight of Cups? Traditionally, that is, carries the meaning of disillusionment, abandonment of things which have not been emotionally fulfilling. So, well, we'll take that. Changes, uh, this indicates changes in affections and the breaking of irrelevant links with the past. So this one is, this one is really layering on. If when we know that, Apo- or at least it's connecting a lot better than the other ones did. If we know that Apocalypse had cut off this world, cut off his children, his wife, left him in a, uh, a month. And I should make sure I'm pronouncing a month right, right? Um, and left them there. Then you could see how, uh, yeah, a month. You, you, could, you could see where this is going, at least in the, in the early stages. And this is the tarot card that really matches up, again, because it is 
the breaking of irrelevant links. It carries the meaning of disillusionment, abandonment of things, which is not, which have not been emotionally fulfilling. So who knows really who Saturnine is reading these cards for. And last but not least is the Ten of Swords, which this whole thing is uh, based on. We haven't even been introduced to most of these characters that will be holding swords. Um, but we do, in the forefront, we do have Magic, Bex, Betsy Braddock, Wolverine holding a sword, which is funny because he has claws. But And he's not even... You, you'd hope it was magic sword, a magic sword like Magic next to him has. But no, it just looks like a regular pirate sword. And then Cable, who of course has been... Uh, deep in the sword world in his in his own title, and then at the end of this book, uh, uses it. So ah, here it is. Then my light in the darkness, something I have long desired, flickers just out of my reach. But for the ones who hold the blades, a great match, uh, a great match lights the darkness indeed. The ten of swords, and then Terret the mutant says, sometimes the darkest hours before the dawn. Yes. But also, sometimes it is simply darkness. I cannot be sure. In any case, what is causing you pain? The pain will be the worst you have ever felt. But then it will be gone. What does that mean? The pain will be gone. Will you die? Will you be gone forever? You will feel it no more. And then old Wikipedia for Ten of Swords, just for uh, just to contrast. says, says, I'm holding it out, um, says I wasn't ready, I must have closed the Ten of Swords, but here we go, there's wands, there's cups, and it's weird because these tarot cards, they read differently when they're reversed, apparently, so... So that's very meaningful, but uh, in a reverse state, the card indicates a troubling situation that will continue for a significant amount of time. The card suggests that the subject should not despair in difficult times to avoid ruining future prospects of success. So, and the upright or positive light, I'm pretty sure we're in the not positive light, but the upright positive light, the Ten of Swords, represents destruction, being pinned down by a multitude of things or situations. A person lying on the ground defeated and bleeding may also represent a feeling of hopelessness and being trapped by emotions or mental anguish, since swords represent strife and the mind. And That's probably the theme of the entire 22-issue uh, series. And, and where this goes and how it works out, who knows, that's what we're strapping in for. That's why I'm not making these... I'm I'm referring to Apocalypse and his redemption and whether that happens and and him being on the quiet you know on the quiet council and then his actual history. But I'm not I'm not going to criticize it. I'm just getting in. I'm just taking this ride with you, taking this ride that Hickman started, that Jonathan Hickman started, that's uh, allowed me to get into X Men in a way that I haven't been able to before. So business wise, at least for my money, it worked or it's working right now. And, uh, and so that's the tarot cards. Now what I want to do is start talking about specifically apocalypse and his relationship with some of the characters in this book, including the quiet council. And then, and then we'll, we'll move on to individual characters in the book. Not everyone necessarily, uh, interacts with apocalypse. So let's get with that first up. 
apocalypse, 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 always scheming, always some crazy history we don't know that, that needs to be revealed, uh, it's always a means to an end, so, so much, so much, uh, this is very apocalypse, uh, so has been most of Excalibur, uh, but now his stakes do feel high because it feel it it looks like we're a- actually talking about his family and anytime we get more apocalypse history it is to me entertaining like i said earlier in the podcast he is one of the better characters that, that's been developed especially what he started what he was going to start to be which was ascent which was before his first, for those that don't know, before his first appearance was revealed in X Factor, the writers in the first four or five issues were going to make the secret villain the Owl, which is a minor Spider-Man villain, and and uh, then a new writing team came on and decided, well, we'll just make Apocalypse, and then he slowly became a, a stronger character, which is why I don't like the X-Men Apocalypse film, but when people just say he was weak or wasn't that powerful, I would always sort of go back to where he was somewhat of a crime boss at the very beginning uh, of his run. And then, of course, he expands, and, and, and that's one of the great things about uh, the character and, and one of the better, newer characters in, in the not only the X-Men world, but in the Marvel Universe. He was, when was he created? It was like 1987 or something like that. So uh, I just want to go through real quick. This is, this is actually not as long. It's a, a big comic book, but... Apocalypse and and what he does and his relationship to um, a, a lot of these characters I think is important. So first of all is his grandchild, the Summoner. Uh, he seems very unapocalyptic, very unapocalypse-like to just automatically trust him, and he sort of sort of deserves what he gets for being so naive. You know, he meets his grandson. And just thinks they're on the same side. And it, 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 it's fun to see the master manipulator get manipulated uh, a little bit. Even though it was somewhat obvious. And Hickman and Teeny Howard don't make it like this huge reveal when, when, the summoner, uh, when the summoner betrays him. But at the same time, it's, it, it's fun to see Apocalypse just, uh, just be so naive at the end of the day. And, and get injured for it. So we'll see what happens with him. And and that's been developing now for a for a few issues throughout the X-Men run. Um, an important uh, relationship to Apocalypse is the Council. So in most cases, while everything's while things were happening in Krakoa and the X-Men, Apocalypse has been on the Council. He has he has said things uh, when the Hellions were put together when whenever they were doing political things he he's now has that famous panel where he's actually wearing a suit which was great but in this view apocalypse is standing with the summoner this is before the summoner betrays him and is talking to the council and uh Krakoa is there in the background with a beautiful drawing and apocalypse looks great here too and the the relationship here is that the council feels that, and especially Magneto, that Apocalypse is doing whatever he wants, and he should probably, he should probably end this right away. They eventually vote to close the door, but Apocalypse always knowing a little more uh, about what's going on than the people around him uh, knows automatic knows pretty.
pretty clearly that Krakoa was not going to allow that, and that Krakoa is actually on Apocalypse's side. And uh, there's a surprise Magneto there, uh, and it it ends up being that Apocalypse can do what he wants if the window can't be closed, but he does not have the authority of the council. Um, and there's a, a great brooding close-up picture of Apocalypse's face, which I think Pepe Raz really likes to draw because it, it, it's, uh, it seems to happen a lot whenever Apocalypse is a focus on it. Uh, but he gets to talk, he gets to, he's standing in the middle and just about everyone on the council gets a say here. Uh, uh, Kate Pride, Mystere, Professor X, of course, Magneto, who we already mentioned, the White Queen, who thinks they should destroy it now. And, uh, and I mean, even Exodus is going on. Exodus says the most terity thing out there, the most precog, or not precog, but as far as like the mystery of the tarot and, and what comes together, Exodus says the, he goes, I am alone in, am I alone in seeing the ashy tint in overcast heaven? Something looms, something just beyond our ability to see, but it is there. I can feel it. So Apocalypse gets what he wants. There's a little bit of a, you know, he has to get volunteers now instead of uh, instead of having the, the quiet council go. So that's a good excuse to have a, a, the sort of ragtag group to, that gets in there. And I don't, they're not ragtag because they're bad. They're ragtag in the sense that uh, it, it's just a weird group to choose, you know. So Magneto has his daughter go, Polaris. Scott uh, Summers, Cyclops can't go, so he asks Havoc to go which is interesting, uh, especially what Havoc's gone through recently in his book, The Hellions. Beast goes because he's curious. Uh, Archangel we'll talk about in a minute. He still doesn't trust Apocalypse, so he's keeping an eye on him. Siren goes because uh, of what happened to Banshee. So it's basically a, another Banshee. Richter's attached to Apocalypse. Rockslide is attached to the Summoner. Uh, and Monet goes. So before we get to Archangel... Uh, doesn't doesn't seem like Apocalypse always has questions, but uh, this is almost a foreshadow to the na- uh, nativity that comes, to his naiveness that comes. He asked, uh, he asked Monet, have you ever been to Otherworld, child? Ventured into the unseen lands, felt, felt the invisible hand of the Starlight Citadel as she moves the infinite. So, a, a lot of flowery talk here. Uh, he asked her why he's joining us, and because it feels like a job I want, but uh, I might want down the road. So I think that'd be fun to see her become the, the whatever we call that, whatever we call Saturnine, the Saturn Opal girl. Um, but uh, and it looks like it's going that way because later on in the book she does have a bit of a, a bit of a run-in with her. They they they. Their attitudes clash, Saturnine and Monet's. So, and Monet seems like a real good character. She seems one of those characters that could at any point become overpowered. Um, originally Penance, and I, I don't know what's gone on with Monet since. I've read the Wikia, but she's she's had her own growth over the last 30 years. Still considered a young mutant to some extent, but she appeared as Penance. She appeared in Generation X in the early 90s, so uh, let's get on with it. So... Uh, Next up is now in X Men Twelve, Celine. When so Apocalypse kills all the externals because he needs their energy to power the external gate. Some of them he keeps alive. One of them, Celine. When Apocalypse found out that he may have been, he may have been uh, double not double crossed, but 
planned against something unexpected happened with when Kandra decided that she wasn't uh that uh that wasn't her real body the magic wasn't there uh Celine was chosen to stay with Apocalypse um but she wanted to make sure you know after Apocalypse realized that she tricked that she got that he got tricked uh Celine goes you always expect these sacrifices of others Apocalypse never yourself it's a bit transparent so how did she know she knew that Apocalypse was planning something. Same happens here with Archangel. Uh, Apocalypse and Archangel talk to each other. He finds out why he's volunteering. And uh, <laughs> and Archangel says, you know what's always blown my mind? That you think that you can just be you and there's no end to it. Our sins find us out, Apocalypse. One cannot call something, and Apocalypse tells him, one cannot call something a sin when it's righteous work being done. Uh, that right there, that's exactly what I'm talking about. The lie that if you think it matters, then it's okay if someone else pays. So you see this, you see this theme where Apocalypse has some greater purpose in his own mind and other people pay. And it's being noticed because we've seen Celine mention it and now we see Archangel mention it. And we want to see if that's a, uh, that becomes its own theme throughout this series uh, and I think that I think that what's happened in the past that we've been revealed that's been revealed here in this book and, and also touched on in X Men Twelve is that Apocalypse made a decision cut cut these two worlds off. It appears cut these two worlds off, left his children, and his wife. In his mind, it's a great sacrifice, but it's really them that paid because they've now gone through eons of war, become these hardened sort of these hardened characters that uh, we find out don't like their father very much. And and then last is sort of what I just touched on right now. Apocalypse goes through the world with his not ragtag group of mutants. There's literally an apocalypse tier. If you ask me anything I regret, this is what I regret. So he still sees himself as the person that that made the sacrifice. Walks up to his kids. Um, even kneels down. Apocalypse kneels down in front of him. And his children... We'll, we'll see what Hickman and Teeny Howard do with this, but it almost looks like the, it almost looks like the, uh, there's five of them though. So, well, no, there's four of them. So it almost looks like all his four horsemen wackery throughout the last 30 years might be him re trying to repeat having these four children that he lost. So he stands in front of them. They tell him that, they tell him that their mom has died or his wife has died under the twilight sword. Um, and, uh, and then they just sound, they sound like meta apocalypse. One of them says regret is for the weak and we are born strong in that place. Only the fit survive. And here we are. Would you like to know the one thing that kept us alive all these years? It wasn't love. And then he gets stabbed. So I wouldn't say, I mean, the summoner is definitely a turn. Um, I wouldn't say that these kids attacking him is a big turn, uh, but it is. It does really set the stage. It, it it puts Apocalypse in a situation we're not used to him, where he knows more than the writers letting us know, or that the characters around him know, and and he's scheming and planning. We've gotten that all the way up to this point. So basically, everything that Apocalypse was doing in Excalibur, and whenever whenever the Summoner and stuff was touched on in X Men. And X-Men number two, and I think he appeared one other time. Whenever any of that was touched on, 
we we've gotten that plot line actually finished because now with him being stabbed by his child and his grandchild here now we're in a situation where apocalypse doesn't know what's going on and he's he's actually fighting a bunch of little apocalypses hardened by war uh especially talking exactly like they do the fit and the weak and whatnot or it's, it's talking like apocalypse does about the fit and the weak and and that's apocalypse for the um for this story as far as his relationship to everyone else uh, and I, and i think that we see a couple a couple important themes which i've which we'll just review here one Apocalypse is making other people make sacrifices. Number two, there's a contrast now that Apocalypse doesn't isn't scheming and knows what's going on and and, and being this evil leader. <clears throat> we're actually getting the Apocalypse. Uh, we're actually getting a view of the Apocalypse at a at an important moment in his life, and it may have been it may have been what made Apocalypse what he is, making that sacrifice cutting these worlds off, uh, staying on earth and, and then becoming the person that he became. Uh, I do think it's interesting that we have like the sort the blue sort of crazy looking apocalypse, uh, in, in the flashbacks, although he always looked, he always had that look, uh, as a mutant. If you, if you read rise of apocalypse, I, I, I'm going to have to piece together when all of this could have happened too, because we have, um, because it, it doesn't seem to fit with Rise of Apocalypse. It's been a long time since I read that. So so that is the relationship of Apocalypse to uh, everyone. And then uh, we're going to close out this podcast. We're just going to talk about some of the characters that have been featured up to this point. Um, and talk about, I mean, a lot of the plot's going to come through that. And then a, a quick talk about the white pages. We won't read all the white pages, of course. But So first up, let's talk about Saturnine. Uh, bet I wanted to call her Betsy Ross, Courtney Ross, I think. So this character actually has history. I th- I've, I've heard other people talking like she's, she's brand new, uh, but she actually has history in Excalibur and, and Captain Britain books. It's not, it's not someone I know at all. And she was brand new to me. Even, I think I even said that she looked like, uh, this, uh, uh, the white queen, like Emma Frost, on the front cover, she may be a ripoff of Emma Frost used for Excalibur back in the day, but she's been around and, and she has a lot of, she has a lot of alternate reality characters, uh, that are like her, including Courtney Ross, um, and then a, a version of her that is in control of the world or in control of Britain or something. So I don't know. I don't really know what's going on there. Uh, it's already been covered that, she was the head of, or an important part of the, the uh, Captain Britain Corps that has disappeared for some reason. Uh, it's X-Men, so you just can't, you can go down rabbit holes for this kind of thing. Uh, but that was implied to Betsy Braddock in Excalibur 12, or not implied, but said. So they've, they've left, and we'll get into this with the white pages, but they left the, uh, the doors to the realities open unprotected. So there's, a, there's actually a lot going on with her. In this book, the context, the context of this book, without getting into a big history lesson that I would have to teach myself anyway, she seems she is uh, being written at this point as the chess player. She's the one flipping the tarot cards. She's the one that sort of that knows what's going on. She, uh, in the middle of the book, when Rachel Summers and Cable and Kid Cable are uh, reading Banshee's mind, she can somehow 
see be in that reality that they're reading um she even saying that she's uh putting things in place when uh one of her generals or or one of her vassals or whatever come and and tell her that there's a war going on below and shouldn't you be paying attention to the army and whatnot um she implies that she's setting certain things in motion um she seems to know a lot and, and not know a lot in here and she's the driver of what's coming up which is is probably the thing i like the least so far is uh of the tournament that they're gonna do it's another tournament we're gonna fight to the death in an arena like like secret wars or like every fighting game um uh i think the the most interesting thing here is uh is her back and forth with Monet. When she freezes Monet, Monet cusses at her. Uh, there's a little bit of foreshadowing that Monet, for some reason, thinks that that's a job she would want to to be the Grand Opal Luna uh, or whatever it is. I'm just going to make different Opal Luna jokes throughout the entire uh, course of this podcast until it gets serious. But um, uh, they, have a, they have a pretty funny, uh, a few funny interactions that uh, that I enjoyed that I think are also a little bit uh, foreshadowing something that's going to happen with Monet. Uh, before the tournament thing happens, while they're down there fighting, uh, the the X-Men, Havoc, and Polaris, and, and Monet notice that she's just standing up there watching. Uh, Monet sends a, uh, a psychic message, you know, this takes the cake. You've turned war into a spectator sport. Are you going to watch your kingdom get ravaged and do nothing about it? And here is, uh, here is Saturnine, uh, doing the thing where uh, she's almost in the apocalypse position, knows more than any of us know. I do what I, I'll do what I please, child. I can promise it won't have anything to do with the whims of you or any of your kind. She's ca- and she's calling mutants witch breeds, which is I think is very interesting. Um, and then pushes her away, and then later on, uh, Monet gets frozen. Uh, she's not too happy about it. She's uh, unfreeze me. She's clearly calling her a bitch somewhere here. And, uh, oh yeah, she, t- she tells her to F off. And now, child, you may speak. So, uh, Saturnine is the, at this point, we may get a, we may get a moment where an apocalypse turn, like we just talked about, where she's no longer, uh, the, the chess piece mover, but we'll, we'll see where that goes. I think Monet is headed for, uh, the current Saturnine's, uh, throne here. The, the next character I just want to mention, uh, and we only sort of mentioned them, are Rachel Summers and Cable. So, so Cable's headed. We've seen too many pictures of him. He's, his entire first arc has been about a sword, and we've seen too many pictures of him like in the Ten of Swords card and stuff like that. So Cable is not involved uh, in uh, going to Otherworld yet or anything. He's not involved in that war, but he does, along with Rachel Summers, read Banshee's mind. So Banshee comes back beat up and he's with the healer. They decide to read his mind. That's where it gets revealed. It's sort of a dual reveal of Cable and Rachel finding out that the summoner betrays them. Uh, Rachel, they seem to be doing that comic book thing where they can leave Rachel uh, there. Cable's headed right for right for the, the thick of this battle because he runs to his parents and... Um, and they end up finding uh, some kind of uh, giant, well, not an, they needed an energy. Uh, 
they need an energy so- source, but somehow Jean, Jean Grey knows it's an energy core, but, you know, whatever. The energy source is Cable Sword, and, uh, and then for some reason, Sword, Sword, the acronym Sword, which is like the shield that protects against galactic stuff, is, is shown at the end, and uh, Sword goes down the peak or whatever. So at the very end, we get a, we get a mix with something that's a lot more shield and military feeling than magical. Uh, so we'll see where that, we'll see where that goes. That's, that's just how it ends. So this is a way to take Rachel out for a minute. And then we're going to get Jean Grey, Cable and Cyclops, probably, probably in other world fighting. I'd imagine that they become, uh, part of the tournament. Although I don't remember, I don't feel like I saw, Cyclops or Jean Grey on those uh, on that card, uh, per, per, perhaps perhaps they are. Um, we still haven't gotten magic in, into the mix, so that will probably happen soon, maybe in the New Mutants crossover. And last up, we've I've touched about this in other contexts are his children, so famine, pestilence, war. Uh, and and death looks like Anubis. So so these are his children. They have had to fight for eons. There is a real there's a real you could see a line. It's almost Hickman deciding to uh, deciding to do what Donny Cates does sort of realign the stuff that's already happened and make it sound like it was all planned, which is fine. I think that's what modern comic book people have to do. They have to connect to the past and, and make new stories. But you see a real line of Apocalypse always making four horsemen, and then they're turning out to be uh, these four horsemen that are his actual kids. So they're, they're the actual four horsemen, and Apocalypse is just making a bunch of copies uh, throughout the history of his comic book um, storylines. Uh, I think it's really important that these these characters are almost like worse apocalypses. So Apocalypse is the person that did has done all the things he's done. Uh, you know, the, only the fit survive. Fuck, you know, fuck the humans for sure, and even mutants should die. But he's walked up to a bunch of mini Apocalypse that believe what he believes, but have also been hardened by eons of war, and. Uh, and they had zero issues with seeing their father and then killing their father. What is unclear is if they expected him to come or if they were ready for, for this to happen because there was no real surprise in them. Uh, Apocalypse walked up and they were like, you, you got to stand up, be stronger, essentially. Only the fit survived. They, they had that sort of, they had that apocalypse attitude, um, but not, but seeing him and not being surprised, that, that was a little bit weird. So maybe they already knew what was going on because Krakoans and Earthbound people were coming. Um, but what's starting to look like it's going to happen is that these are just going to be characters used, uh, used for the tournament because there's got to be more stuff with their mom, which as, as far as we know now is she's deceased and the same as Apocalypse's wife, but that's not going to happen. Right. And, uh, and and I hope that there's some fun stuff developed with with what Apocalypse did to them and stuff, rather than them just be the characters that 
um, are going to be in this tournament that hopefully is only a couple issues. And last but not least, before we stop, uh, the white pages are, I'm not going to read the white pages, don't worry, um, are pretty important. One talks about the Starlight Citadel and, um, and basically what I've already said that this is the place where, uh, uh, every, every door had its own Captain Britain. Uh, the Starlight Citadel is easiest reach from Kakoa by the external gate, which we already know. And then, of course, it's ran by Saturn 9, and her title's Opal Luna, Omniversal Majestrix, and High Priestess of the Starlight Citadel. And I, I think we're we're headed for Monet there. We're gonna we're gonna track Monet what her what her little part is of this whole thing. But I, I think that's she's headed for something like that, or at least a, a, a at least a an alter an altercation with Saturn 9. Um, and then what's the most important, I've already talked about the, the turrets and whatnot. Um, the most important is the little map they give very Hickmanish, very Hickman like map of the map of Otherworld. And I guess what's all, what's important here is the way earth and a month and a month connect. Um, and then Otherworld has all the fair courts, the fair and the foul courts, which I am not sure it, uh, how much of those have been discovered or, or talked about or written about in, in old issues of Excalibur. But you have a dry door, which has fallen that actually fell at the beginning uh, of this issue uh, from those four horsemen, blight spoke, the crooked market, hot hive, the Holy Republic of Fay. So a lot of those are going to uh, be pretty fun. Blight spoke, uh, blight spoke and dry door, are either unknown or vacant. You have Mad Jim Jaspers, who's a very important character in the Excalibur world, um, all in the foul courts with Merlin there. So I don't know what's going on. I know that Merlin, you, at some, I don't know if this changed or how it's changed. I know that Merlin was Saturnine's sort of leader or Saturnine answered to Merlin. But in here, he's a leader of the foul courts. And then the fair courts, Roma, Regina, Forge Master, Federal, and Fury, the Floating Kingdom. So you, you got the names, which are pretty cool. The one that's important here is Avalon, and that's led by Monarch, the reality-switching mutant. We we had some reality-switching happen already in, in Excalibur, and Apocalypse is who put Monarch uh, on the throne there. And then a bunch of other stuff that who knows if we'll we'll review and all of those in this map all of those circle uh all those circle the uh, starlight citadel and the external gate so what's important though is the way these connect are you have earth uh it's connected with krakoa that connects to the other world and then you have a menth which is connected by arako so the whole magic thing is that Krakoa and Arako are the same island. One was in a month, one stayed in Earth, and they connect together through the other world. And then the other world is linked to Saturn 9 and the entire mythology of Excalibur and Captain Britain and whatnot. Um, and so those are really the white pages, with the exception of the sword page at the end. But I think we're going to know more about what happens there in later issues. So I don't want to get too into that, but it's just that, uh, the sword 
something within sword called the peak has ceased and that happened when cable threw his his sword into the um into that power sphere so overall mostly talk about plot but overall like how much did i enjoy it i i loved it it's just so weird and deep and hickman just gives you a lot of information and i think you i think the best way to read them is just just to go page by page and have fun and not worry that like everything needs to be explained necessarily because the main thread of the plot will be explained and i've been able to find a ton of enjoyment from this uh, i've noticed a lot of like overlapping stuff for hickman i think it's interesting that the he's obviously interested in apocalypse because the way uh because these four horsemen death pestilence etc sort of overlap with what he did in in east from west uh his indie book you know so, uh, I mean, Pestilence looks, some of these characters even almost look similar to them. So, uh, as an, as a first issue, as an introduction, it had an epic feel. I mean, we went, we went across a bunch of different, uh, dimensions. There was a war already. There's already been people trading. There's going to be some kind of technological element with sword, with sword, the acronym sword. Going down, there's a, a, a ton, a ton of, like a real ton of symbolism everywhere. Uh, that's a, you know, he wants to play with swords, and so then it even counts the peak. Sword, the, 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 the shield group. The shield group that is the Sentient World Observation and Response Department. Uh, it's supposed to deal with extraterrestrial threats to world, uh, security and is the space counterpart of shield. And that's a space, it's a counterpart. It's not ran by shield or anything. And who knows where that goes? That, that feels more like an Avengers thing, right? Using sword, but Hey, it's a sword. Hickman's into symbolism, whether it makes sense or not. So now sword is in the 10 of swords somehow. So all of it's exciting to me. And uh, my philosophy for the the whole X-Men run from the beginning in the Hickman vs. X-Men, let's say, or the Hickman ran X-Men, is that I, I'm just strapping on. Just going to get on the ride and see what happens. And a lot of my criticism, even though you might hear a little bit, and criticism meaning good and bad and the way to look at things, is really going to come at the end of this. At the end of not the Ten of Swords, but at the end of Hickman's run on X-Men. We're going to have... 24 issues, pretty much of most Dawn of X titles. We're going to have a bunch of other issues that we've touched on. Some kind of closing, probably. And then, and then I'll come back and, and talk about what works, what didn't work, what, what made sense, what didn't make sense, what was undeveloped, what I wish would have seen more. Then we could start doing that stuff. And, and comparing, like I have already, um, criticism from that point of view, especially the comparative stuff. So, Ten of Swords creation. It's a thumbs up for me, but so does everything else from the, the philosophy of just being in the, uh, being along for the ride. My name's Chris Sarda. Find me at Chaos and Comics on Instagram and Twitter. There will be a Ten of Swords podcast every Saturday. I want to drop it earlier. I know that this one's dropping later on Saturday, but it is what it is. But I will try to get these out so that they're here Saturday morning, but at the very least sometime Saturday. Thank you guys for listening. Let me know what's going on. Just get on Twitter at Chaos and Comics. Find me on Instagram at Cast and Comics, or or these appear on YouTube. So comment in the YouTube comments, and and we'll talk uh, we'll talk X Men, we'll talk Ten of Swords, and we'll get deeper into your theories 
uh, and how they contrast against some of the things I said here today. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. You guys have a great day, weekend, night, whenever you may be listening to this. But we do want, I do want to have a quick talk about what those say.